0: Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful for your word and grateful for your caring for your creation. In your son's name, amen. You tell from the sermon notes you have that we're in John 14 now. John 13, right in there, through John... 17 is approximately John's recounting of what the Lord says to his disciples at the last supper and immediately thereafter before they really go out to the garden is at the end of chapter 17 so it's the Lord and and John is right there with him you know from the gospel of John that John is sitting next to him at the last supper so he is writing down all these very pertinent poignant truths. Now, one of the interesting things about it, we, we were kind of discussing an aspect of this on Friday night Edward, in Wine, Wisdom, and Song, and uh, this passage or part of it came up, and so I was thinking about it a little bit, and then Stephanie, Nor- not Norvell, what's her last name now? Hagen. Hagen. Uh, button-holed me at uh, the leeches last night and said I should consider speaking on the Holy Spirit. She doesn't come to this church. I don't know why that... Maybe she thinks, oh, you can get these sermons online. I'm sure that's what she's going to do. But if she does, she'll hear her name forgotten. Well, this passage really... The Lord brings in the Holy Spirit in a sequence of comments and then speaks at some length midway through 15 and into 16 about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of Christians throw out the word Holy Spirit um, not even knowing what they're saying. They don't have a doctrine of God that makes sense out of that. Uh, They don't know what they mean when they say spirit, even about their own spirit. They just know these are God words, and God words are good to use. You know, you can talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit really rested, really testified to me. You have no idea what you're talking about. But we know what we're supposed to behave like. It was a almost, you might say, an unnecessary addition. If Jesus was making all this up, it was hard enough that he was saying, there is one God and I am two. That was hard enough for, say, the Muslims to take in. They cannot believe that God, or the Jews, that God would have a son or that God's son was God himself. It just uh, uh, then, then God says, oh, I'm going to go over the hat trick on this and I'll add another agent of God that after I leave will come and be a benefit to the saints, the Holy Spirit. Christians have fought wars over this aspect of God in the sense of uh, the doctrine of the Trinity and the like, and they shouldn't have. It seemed like a, a pretty bad misuse of a doctrine of God is to fight wars with people. But this section, matter of fact, this portion of John, uh, the Muslims interpret this as a prophecy of Muhammad. That the counselor coming was Muhammad. As I don't know if you know, Muhammad comes along at the 600s, early 600s AD, so a few hundred years after the Lord. And so that they like to pick up these things and say, this is the paracletos, the paraclete, the counselor, the comforter, was uh, Muhammad. I think you'll be able to tell looking at the passage, it's not Muhammad. But he is something. And sometimes, evangelical churches over, you know, if you be honest with ourselves, we're Protestants, we're sort of evangelical, independent, Baptistic, I don't know what we are, I don't know what you are. We know we fall into a realm of things that, where the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, is not the stressed thing. We're evangelical, so we stress the gospel, the death and resurrection of our Lord, the, the life of faith and the believer, morality, etc. That's where we're at. But in this, we get a the introduction of the coming Holy Spirit. They get it at Pentecost. This is right before he dies. This is in the Last Supper. He's telling them this. They go right into the Passion narrative after this, and he dies, and then is raised, and then there's 40 days he teaches the disciples. He ascends to the father at the ascension, and then they have to wait in Jerusalem until they're clothed with power from on high, and that's where Pentecost happens. They get this Holy Spirit. They get the Counselor. So he's teaching them about it now. And some of our Christian lives would probably benefit if we stop to consider what the Holy Spirit we claim we have received is laboring to do in us. Giving us no excuse in some ways for not being what God is laboring to do in us. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is John 14, 15. I have a couple of short quotes on the counselor out of chapter 14, and then we'll pick it up with chapter 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. No <laughs> let's just just go home and face up to that. Let's just call it quits on the sermon and say, let's go home and do what the Lord said. Because if we don't do what the Lord said, he says, and this is the embarrassing part, he says we don't love him. No, I love we're like wife beaters. You know, we beat the old lady and then say we love them. No, I really love her. And she says, she really loves me, but he beats me. If you love me, keep my commandments. This is how the agent that we're trying to follow, because we're called Christians, said his love for him is measured. So some churches run off and try to create a whole bunch of rules that will make us feel so loaded down with the rules and the commandments, and the more biblical the better, We know how we think about that. We know that the scriptures also teach that you're not under the law. People who try to live by a law, but keeping the commandments is the desired end. (laughs) The law just isn't the means of doing it. So we're we're sort of at sea. We want to know how do we become good, because our love for Christ is defined by whether we're successfully good. Right? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Our love for God is defined by how good we have become. God wants mankind good. He doesn't want mankind bad. Seems to have a big, strong feeling about that, like he's going to do the judgment and eternal uh, consequences to that judgment. This passage is very helpful in knowing what the Holy Spirit is here to do for us. And I will pray the Father... And he will give you another counselor. That's the word paracletos. The paraclete. To be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him. Nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you. And will be in you. There's a promise of Pentecost there at the end. He says, I'm going to send... A counselor. A spirit. Now, when you use the word spirit, it's not just a word that we, a religious word. Uh, It's a metaphysical word, because it's talking about metaphysics. It means breath. That's all it means. Wind, breath. The word pneuma, like pneumatic. There is this breath, and as a matter of fact, at another point in the Lord's Supper. Oh, I don't know where it was. He does that, but he breathes on them and tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them. But Jesus leans over the table and goes... receive the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, it would weird you out in any dinner situation if uh, your cult leader suddenly blew in your face and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Are you crazy? And that he's just been saying, "Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. You know, this, is a weird, oh, this is a weird group. But if he is our Lord, he is trying to set up have you understand the metaphor of when the Spirit of God is going to come upon you, going to be with you forever. The world can't receive it because it doesn't see him or know him. It's important that you know the Holy Spirit. It's important that you make some sort of Concerted effort to see him not like you can see a wind but that you can see what he is what he does that he is with both with you in your life and in you in your life now that's pretty vague jumping down to verse 24 he says he who does not love me does not keep my words oh he keeps coming back to that doesn't he He who does not love me does not. If you love him positively, you keep the commandments. If you don't love him, you do not keep his words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Just in case you were wondering how important to take the teaching of Jesus Christ. Because all of this, you are an autonomous soul wandering around the planet, doing what you will, standing in front of the maker of the planet and the universe, who thought that you might want to consider following him, finding him, knowing him, because he made you. Jesus Christ is claiming that what he teaches is a path to knowing what God the Father thinks. Because his words are not his own. The Father sent him. Now there's going to be a degree of all of this hanging together that God... All of these agencies of God's expression, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are conspiring to bring about a circumstance of moral change in your life. But it's going to be based on whether or not I am looking toward or for or turned toward God the Father. These things... I have spoken to you i am still with you but the counselor the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that i have said to you refer back to earlier in the paragraph and all i have said to you is what the father told you through me so your ability this this anchor point of the holy spirit If you you didn't meet Jesus, I don't think any of you are quite that old. I'm old, but I'm not that old. It's been a couple millennia since our Lord was on the planet. People have been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit has been functional since then. It's our only anchor point of this experience with God. But it's an ex- you need to know, it's not an experience where you get to put your hands in the air and sway back and forth and feel good inside because you're kind of worked up. The Holy Spirit is not there to work you up. I don't mind if you're worked up. Enjoy it. But, that's not what the Holy Spirit's there to do. The Holy Spirit is there to teach you all things and get you to remember what the Lord Jesus Christ taught you. Okay? Your path in life is going to be one of information moving into you, trickling down from God the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. That's what you're supposed to be encountering if you have known him and if he dwells in you. Because that's what a counselor is for. That's what the comfort is about. The major tension in life is why are people such rat bastards to each other? Why is there so much wickedness in the world? I, I'm becoming more and more jaded. I don't know if you say, well, you couldn't have become more jaded, Evan. I'm reading a biography of James I of England, the sixth of Scotland, key of King James Bible fame written by Charles Williams, which is the reason I'm reading it. I don't like James the First, but I did like, do like Charles Williams as a writer. Good, good biography. I've gained more sympathy for James the First, but golly, the world's a wicked place. Scotland, especially in the 16, mid-16, 16, 1500s, late 1500s. Awful! Oh, but boy, they were religious. You had the Protestants on one side and you had the Catholics on the other. Nobody seemed to be interested in living like Jesus Christ. Nobody. Everybody was fighting over power and theology. And who was in charge of Scotland? The quote I always like to use is about John Knox. Somebody said, and I don't know who, speaking of John Knox, you may have read of John Knox fighting it out with Mary Queen of Scots, who was James's mother. John Knox, he says, he was not very Christ-like but he was good for Scotland, which is all that matters to Scots. Is it good for Scotland? The world is a bad place filled with wicked people. I trust And I don't think because we have a small congregation that this is representative of the people in Moscow who seek to serve God, because certainly the other fellowships certainly do. But even if you counted all of those, it's a small number in this town of people who are seeking to know that they love their Lord by their obedience to his teaching, by their becoming like him. And those that do need to know that that a doctrine of the Holy Spirit, not as a doctrine, but as a presence, an agent in your life, the Holy Spirit teaches you all things and brings to remembrance all that the Lord said. If you want to be Godward, you have to have this anchor. Because you're turning at some point. You know, every... Ethical religion that has a good and bad has like some semblance of people choosing between piety and it, it, the followers of the lie in Zoroastrianism. The followers of Ahura Mazda or the followers of the lie. And we know that we're making this decision. If I choose to turn Godward, I need to know by what age, because Godwardness, the father, he whose character. Um, I am trying to be reconciled with. And I'm able to, by the Son, who died for my sins, through the Holy Spirit, who informs me and draws me on in all these things I need to learn. I'm turning towards God. I'm also turning away from something. This is about love and hate. Now, jumping forward to John 15. We're in John 14, where he introduced the counselor. John 15, he comes back around to it. This I command you to love one another. Now, maybe I'm just just messing with you. Maybe I'm just putting those verses in there that just sort of lay this hand grenade of moral responsibility. Love for God, following the words of Christ, everything Christ said was from the Father, the Holy Spirit's to remind you everything Christ said. Uh, let me say something more. You need to love one another. The passage I got read this morning out of Corinthians and evidence in the first century when the gospel was newly preached in Corinth was being disobeyed already. You know why? People are awful. That's why people each, each one is choosing, finding different ways to choose themselves and the world over the Father. Now I'm saying advisedly that the Father not choosing Jesus we're we're really not trying to get people when we evangelize to choose Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is reconciling them to the Father. Jesus Christ is a mediator. I'm not trying to get them to meet Jesus. Everyone likes Jesus. Very few people want to go where Jesus wants to take them. Back to God. They'd like to have Jesus. Everybody, all all fake religions have Jesus involved in it somehow. Because they've got some sort of view of him. They don't stop and let the Holy Spirit teach them what he said, which was, I am reconciling you to the Father. I am making you acceptable by my death to the Father. That's where we're going together. And I only say the things the Father tells me to say. This is all about love and hate and where you stand in that love and hate. Verse 18. If the world hates you, just told you to love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Sometimes you you start to say some non-Christian hates you. Oh, so-and-so, he's so religious. And you start to go, oh, maybe I've been a bad testimony. Well, maybe you have. But usually they don't hate you for being a bad testimony. Usually, if you start to slip in your moral standards, they don't hate you at all. Matter of fact, they say, Welcome home, brother. Welcome back to the world of sin. Thanks for loving the things that we love. Oh, well, they might say, Yeah, he's a hypocrite, she's a hypocrite. But they don't hate fallen Christians. They hate consistent Christians. And Jesus wants to remind you through the disciples that when the world hates the disciples, they hated him first. The only way people can like Jesus Christ is if they don't know him at all. If the Holy Spirit has not reminded them in any way. Oh, I heard this awful, awful moment on it. My wife, Leslie, watches Chopped when I'm trying to sleep. And there was a woman on CHOP the other night who was a religious woman who was at the same time she was trying to win Chopped she was also trying to get a date advertising herself to any men that might want her fine self uh, humorously of course but she was a religious woman. She was going to be somebody's Esther and she wanted to have someone be her oh she made a mistake, she said Boaz Esther and Boaz, yeah. not Esther and Xerxes or Ruth and Boaz, but in other words she didn't know diddly about the scripture but some guy probably the world hates its opposition It hates Christ. It doesn't know what Christ is like. doesn't want to find out what Christ is like. doesn't want to sit down and read the Gospel of John. One of the best things you can do and give to somebody, give them a Gospel of John. Yeah, read this. We'll talk about it later. That's the Jesus you have to deal with. You like him or not. Do you want to know him? Do you want to follow him? Do you want to, know, do you want to go where he's taking you? Because where he's taking you is, toward, is not just taking you to allow you to love. Some people think it's between love and hate as qualities that you have or don't have. If I'm loving, that's why you see all these people practicing being nice to each other or trying to be polite and how they don't like any kind of anything that looks like it's hateful. They don't like war, against the war, they're against spanking children because that looks like hate, whatever. They think the hate is bad, love is good, no matter what you love, as long as you love. That's why you can get that metal sign from Bed Bath & Beyond that says, Faith, Hope, Love, and you can put it up on your wall. And it kind of is generally good because it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe, it doesn't matter what you love, as long as you love long as your hopes are, Disney hopes. It kind of really matters that you think for a moment that it's not about whether you have the quality. It's not that you love or hate. Everyone loves and hates. You ever seen somebody who really, really cared for a team that just didn't pan out. Not the Vandals. I guess they won the game. First time in a year. I was told by experts in this, our deacon, that the last time they won a game was last homecoming. There's something about the game. We know that people love things they ought not love love things to a degree they ought not love them to. Augustine says that the miser is not wrong through any fault of the gold. It's the degree of love. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. It's not because the world's incapable of loving you it would be welcome home if you went back to the life of sin. They don't have a problem loving. They love what they like. You love what you like. You love the brethren. You love the saints. You love the Lord. It's not if you love, it's what you love. And the world is about hatred. And when you stop to think that this is a decision point of where I care to go, where I care to face, when I care to face through the Holy Spirit the work of Jesus Christ who taught me of God the Father and will reconcile me metaphysically with the Father, or I choose the world which is a collection of self-absorbed people. Not self-absorbed in the casual sense of using the term self-absorbed you know like somebody who doesn't talk to anybody at the party they're kind of self-absorbed everybody at the party is self-absorbed not just the person who's on their phone or tablet all the time they're self-absorbed in a light way everyone's self-absorbed in the way of the world they, they are serving what their self wants to dictate if they love Christ, They will keep his commandments. If you love the world, if you love yourself, you are doing so so you can keep your commandments. Which means I get to date that good-looking but not Christian girl. I get to have low standards about whatever, because that's really what I would enjoy having. I would enjoy having. You've decided at some point not whether the presence of love and hate in your life, but what you turn your back on, Jesus Christ, toward the world will be loved by the world and will be loving... Well, I don't, I've mentioned this before in 1 John when John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. The word he uses is agape. Which a lot of people just think, it's, that's Christian love. If the word agape is used, It's Christian. And John says, don't agape the world. I guess I could, in disobedience, agape the world. What our devotion, our following, our turning toward is one or the other. Remember the word, verse 20, that I said to you. He's just telling you about what's going to bring these things to remembrance. I would think that we, 2,000 years later, having the same Holy Spirit, should see a phrase like, remember the word that I said to you, and go, ho-ho, that's just coming on really strong from the Holy Spirit. A servant is not greater than his master. People wonder why their Christian lives aren't going well. Well, their master is the world. Of course, it's not going well. They know. They go to Bible studies. They go to church where the where the Bibles preach. They hear about what they're supposed to be, and they go, "Oh man, this is so hard. I don't know why." You want to visit my father? He's not dead yet, by the way. He fell down yesterday. Doesn't know why. Spent a good forty minutes on the floor by himself, probably meditating. But uh, he always says. Holiness is easy. In his mind, it is. You're going to go, I don't know about that. Well, the question is, is holiness easy for the person who has faced himself toward Jesus Christ, God the Father, the whole time? Do you need to take a step back? Of course you admire holiness. You like to see it in others. You know you probably it ought to be in you. But you think where you are, the kind of decisions you made, the degree of looking at the world and loving of it that you do. The degree of loving yourself, that's what everybody else is doing, so that's the acceptable level. Then you wonder why you struggle with the faith. Why, you have doubts when you have them. a oh, servant's not greater than his master. You'll never be greater than Jesus Christ. But if you turn toward the world, realize your life's never going to be any better than what they're turning out. And you know, if the world was able to turn out quality lives, there wouldn't even be the few of you here here if you said, hey, John's Alley. You know, everybody that comes out of John's Alley at 2 in the morning, walking home on their face, they have a great life. Look, they wake up refreshed, they're thrilled, their relationships are solid, all the girls they mess around with are thankful that they got pregnant out of wedlock. That's great. It's a good life. Everybody likes it. And especially if you get hooked on methamphetamines, that's, that's really special. Or you become greedy looking after money or whatever it is. Yeah, that's working out. Nobody. Ever said that? Everyone kind of believes it because they want that mastery. They want that so much. They have such a taste for themselves, such a thrill that obeying themselves. You know, people will spend their time miserable in depression because they love themselves so much. Someone's got to give them all that attention. It's a it's like perverse, we have a perverse degree of love for ourselves and the world, which doesn't. Admit that Jesus Christ was right. You're never going to be greater than your master. Pick your master wisely. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all this they will do to you on my account because they do not know him who sent me. Because they do not know the living God, they will do to you on account of my teaching in your life. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Now, it's not talking about sin in general. I mean, obviously they could have sinned and stolen a marshmallow treat from the cookie jar when they were little or hurt somebody. But Jesus Christ coming to earth placed this crucial decision, like Paul says in Acts 17, I shouldn't probably misquote it. Times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all men by raising him from the dead. The incarnation of Christ produces this Decision of who you love, who you hate, who's your master, who isn't. And, eventually, once I can face God, I recognize his Son, and I recognize his Holy Spirit. And they are all tied to drag me further in, an anchor point and a path to God the Father. He who hates me hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have not, not have sinned. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. He gave them evidence that he was from the father in his miracles. If he had not been able to prove it, they wouldn't be blamed with it. It is to fulfill the world that was written in their law. They hated me without cause. <coughs> Underneath it all, there is a cause. In other words, they didn't have a good reason for hating me. Because who would like to say, I'm hating righteousness? You know, when somebody says they hate a Christian, or they hate this, that, or the other thing about Christians, they try to describe morality in negative terms, you know, subjective wording. It's called self-righteousness. They call it, oh, he's just being so self-righteous. He's being goody-goody. Right? They call them Jesus freaks, you know, or the. the um, ran into a lot of that in the Navy. People would say, coming up with all sorts of. The Navy sailors could come up with a little, <laughs> very interesting terminology for people they don't like. But they call it all sorts of things to downgrade what it is. They're trying to give themselves some reason to turn their back. This whole thing of love is where's your face at? Where do you turn and look at? I can remember, I may have related this to you before, being in love with uh, Charlene Johnson in high school. And Charlene, oh, was a difficult woman, girl, high school. Mm -hmm. But I can remember waiting in the theater downtown Ann Arbor for her to come. She said she was coming to the movie. I was in the theater, looking out the second floor balcony, windows down the street to see if I could spot her car. For a long time. It never arrived, because Charlene was difficult. But I was smitten, right? So I was looking for her every... And I may have mentioned this to you before, but her family had a blue station wagon. And I was looking at the intersection about four blocks away from the from the window, sideways, looking down a window like this. Barely see it. I could see the fronts of the buildings all the way down there to where the stoplight was and it seemed like every car in Ann Arbor that came up to that had a blue front end. I was just hoping, waiting to see her. She never showed. We broke up. She broke up with me because she was that sort of girl. But why? I was in love. I wanted to see her. I wanted to look at her. What do you love? What are you looking at? Who have you turned your back on? Who are you looking towards? We have been given an awful lot that hangs Jesus Christ right in front of us and for two thousand years, two thousand years, this book has been available and from all of your life in your language that you are familiar with, that you can read. And if you're not very bright, it comes in the NIV, which I think has a 3,000-word vocabulary. For heaven's sake, junior high can read it. What you're facing? It is to fulfill... What is written in their law, they hated me without cause. But when the counselor comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, even the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness to me. And you also are witnesses because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all this to you to keep you from falling away. that's what starts to happen. That's where you get that m- m- morass of disbelief that you see rising up in church kids or various people who try out it out for a while because they don't face up to what this decision is. They don't count the cost. They don't go, am I looking at God the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit or am I looking at myself and my own urges? Because those are my two choices. And myself and my own urges will end up on meth and myself looking at Jesus Christ, I'm going to walk closer and closer. I will fall away if I pretend like this game can split the difference and kind of have both ends. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think they're offering service to God. And they will do this because they have not known the Father nor me. Don't think this church or any church you're ever in is supposed to be this great movement that sweeps the whole earth everybody's going to like you in the end you can already see it start to happen as the wicked start insisting on the power that their sins wants to have and they're starting to do things to the church in America that might get me thrown in jail at some point you thrown in jail at some point And they will think they're doing a righteous act because saying something is sin is hate speech. Because they have not known the Father. It seems that's what the trigger is. Because if you don't know the Father... You're left with what kind of inertial force in your life? You've got to make decisions. You've got to do things for a reason. If you don't know God and want to live in His creation like He designed it to be lived in, you're gonna go have to make up your own rules. What are you gonna do that by? Your passions, of course, or or kind of what other people tell you to do, wanna fit in. We're not here to coexist. We're not here to live in some sort of Pepsi commercial of universal love. We're here to obey the Lord. If you're alone in that, so be it. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. I did not say these things to you. I did not... Say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. He had other paths to take while he was with them, but now here at the end of his life he's saying, okay, this is how it's going to work. You are the repository of this message. This is what has come to us as Christians every man still is making the decision between facing God, following Christ by the Holy Spirit or following themselves and this decision of Christians in the world make that decision and it's calamity far greater and so they're going to hurt you they're going to want to hurt you (laughs) verse 5 but now I'm going to him who sent me yet none of you asked me where are you going But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your, in red, advantage that I go away. Have you ever wished that Jesus was still kind of around, you know, that he was raised from the dead, but just said, hey, I'm God, I can live forever. And so he gets a house in, you know, Connecticut. People can visit Jesus. Goes to a good church, and everybody likes to join that church. He maybe teaches a Bible study that you want to go to because Jesus is teaching it. we say that's really silly, Evan. Yeah, but you know, when you were the first century, you were with Jesus Himself, and He says, "I'm going away. They're going to kill me. They're going ah. We could really. Use... He says, "No, it's an advantage." This addition of the anchor of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit stepping into your life, if I do not go away, the Counselor will not come to you. If I don't leave this next stage of God in our lives, God the Father, who, uh, you know, is the basically the mind of God, the Son, who is the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit ministering to us, I need to know that this is a step forward toward God. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convince. Now, I looked up the word because the King James has convict. It's more convict. Convince sounds like, hey, I'm going to have an argument with you. And, you know, kind of make a good impression and you'll be convinced. It's more like accusation, conviction hauled up on charges. The Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then, because I have a word processor, I can do this. I can break the next few lines up, center them so you'll notice it, make some words bold. I know the apostle didn't put it down that way, but I have a word processor. So you'll remember this. Because he says sin, righteousness, and judgment, and it says three, three odd things. He says concerning sin because they do not believe in me. That's just the big picture of sin. Sin isn't the icky things, you know, homosexuals kissing, it's not uh, gay marriage, it's not exorbitant tax rates, whatever you think is sin. Drinking to excess. Short skirts. Whatever the thing. That's not the, that's not the issue. We, we collect around those things rather than saying, you know, very few people seek after God. The preaching of Christ, me living in Christ, the Holy Spirit's witness in me gets a bad reaction because most people don't want to choose to find God because they do not believe in Christ. The Holy Spirit brings up that sin. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. In other words, the work of the Holy Spirit in you is making up for Christ being absent. Because if Christ were here in Connecticut leading a Bible study, perfect. How many of you would be tempted to go, yeah, well I might not be that good, but I could show you a guy in Connecticut who will prove Christianity to you, because he's like perfect. The Holy Spirit has brought that to you. Because you will see Christ no more, the Holy Spirit is convicting of righteousness. Because you have to have something to say. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So often we'd like to foist the blame of us struggling um, on Satan. John 14. 30 on the side here. I don't no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. That exchange, Satan has no command over it. He has been judged. He has not any other greater power. Christ could just, I can do what I want. Satan is coming thinking he'd kill the Christ. but He did, but he didn't know what he was doing. Completely clueless, as to the plan. That's what the Holy Spirit's around here for. Convict the world of their sin. They have not pursued God. Convict of the world of righteousness, because in the believer it's producing the righteousness of God. And taking nothing from the metaphysical claims of other agents, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Jesus Christ reigns. I don't have to win. The church does not have to win so that the church can prove that Jesus is Lord. He is proved because he has won. I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will speak, not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Do you see the connection in the heavens? The Holy Spirit in you declaring what Christ has said, what Christ has said is the Father's. You don't get to be a Jesus-only sort of person or a Holy Spirit only. They are conspiring to take your face towards God and reconcile you with the Father. Let's thank him. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for this word from John. We'd ask that you would bless him in glory. Thank him from us. We'd ask that we would learn more of your Holy Spirit and what it does for us in us to draw us and anchor us to your Son. And to reintroduce us to you. Keep us reconciled to you instead of ourselves. In your son's name we pray. Amen.